You're listening to The Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn, and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. This week on The Simply Flawsome Podcast, I'm speaking to a sleep expert, where we are going to talk about the impact of sleep on human health and disease and much more. Quality sleep is crucial and it's sound for mental health and this podcast is going to be full of actionable tips to help you sleep more soundly. Welcome to the podcast, Julie Marlon. Julie, would you give us a brief background on your history? Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to participate. Basically, I have been interested in sleep for a very long time. was not particularly aware of it. I can remember with friends who had children and them not being able to sleep and me thinking about the impact it has on the whole family. Then I became a midwife and then I became a health visitor. And again, it was working with families. Mm-hmm. And sleep was so much an integral part of the dynamics of the family unit. I then qualified in two qualifications as a sleep consultant simply because I want to really make sure that my information and my knowledge is best as it can be. So that's very much where my practice now is as a sleep consultant. Thank you. And you do a lot of work with parents and children. Yes, I do. Although, interestingly, I'm having so many inquiries from people from all ages. I had one client who was 19 who was having difficulty with sleeping. The schools here in the secondary schools, they're now contacting me to go in and teach them about the importance of sleep. Yes, I'm absolutely working with families, but it is working with families, not just the children. I love the fact that sleep is becoming, the importance of sleep is becoming so much more highlighted now. Um, More and more people are aware that it's an integral part of our mental health. First question I'd like to ask you, Julie, is how important is sleep within our lives and why is it so necessary? I mean, it's interesting what you were saying about now sleep being more important than ever. And partly that is due to technology, which is almost counterintuitive but it's because with the technology now we're seeing all these images which are showing us the impact of sleep deprivation on the developing brain on the brain so if we're looking at the three pillars of health the three pillars of health are nutrition exercise and sleep and not in any particular order for example we know that we will stay alive longer with sleep we know that we will die sooner from lack of sleep rather than lack of food. For our emotional and physical well-being, sleep is absolutely critical. And as Matthew Walker quite rightly says, it is not a luxury. It's a biological necessity. I was watching Matthew Walker yesterday on YouTube in preparation for our interview, and it was really interesting what he was saying about men and their testicles he was basically saying a man who is not getting enough sleep i.e about five hours a night their sperm count is significantly lower or the same as someone who is 10 years their senior and again that's really interesting there was a very good study from the infertility clinics and they looked at 700 heterosexual couples and what they discovered was that Poor sleep was associated with a decrease of 29% in sperm quality and quantity. So it has a huge impact on our overall functioning for men, plus the testosterone level. So not only are the scrotums smaller, Mm -hmm. but the testosterone level has also reduced. 
so many other studies saying that the overall reduction in sperm quality and testosterone is 10%, which is where you get your 10 years older. So it has a huge impact. Fertility is a personal to me, but and it fascinates me as well. When two people are obviously coming together to have a baby, both of them are responsible as each other for the health. And when you hear things like this about sleep being really, really important, and because quite often it's the woman that's taking all the hormone drugs and whatever if she's trying to conceive, the guy is just as important as the woman and they need to be making sure that they're getting enough sleep. Let's talk about the different stages of sleep. As we know, or perhaps we don't know, there are different stages to our sleep. But I think one of the most important things to be aware of is that each stage has to be present. We have to go through the different cycles, the different phases within one sleep cycle. So yes, we have REM sleep, which is the rapid eye movement sleep. We, there is stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. So there are five stages of sleep, although some neuroscientists will say there are four stages and then some others say there are five stages, the fifth being the REM sleep. So there are different stages of sleep, but we can't skip one stage and go on to the next. So we build on these stages. Mm. So that's what's really important. The other thing about the sleep stages is it's important to recognize that within one sleep cycle, we have these four stroke five phases, and that happens within approximately 90 minutes. The first stages, the first two to three stages, is where we, in our, we are in our light sleep. Mm. So stage one is our light sleep, which is about five to 10 minutes. And that's where things like our heart rate begins to drop, our temperature begins to drop, and we basically begin to relax. So we're transitioning from the wake sleep state and then the next which is the stage three the stage three is where we have deep sleep and that's the bit that is really restorative and if we're not getting sufficient amount of deep three sleep our whole rejuvenation and the benefit of sleep is actually compromised the phases are in the, the stages are important to recognize but it is we're talking about quality of sleep also mm -hmm. Deep sleep is the REM sleep, is that correct? There's two types. The deep sleep mm. is stage three. We supposedly are in approximately 45 minutes collectively over the night of deep sleep. Basically, the more sleep cycles we have, the more deep sleep we're going to have. And that's why, you know, old wives, old, our mothers tells you, you need to get that sleep before 12 o'clock because that's the most beneficial. The science tells us that drive to sleep begins to drop from about three o'clock in the morning. And that means that we're in a state of lighter sleep as the morning wears on. So that's why the earlier we go to bed and the more sleep we get before then, we have more chance of having that deep sleep. That's really interesting. How does one, I sound really posh when I say that. <laughs> How does, one, how does one get more deep sleep? So this is a little bit about where we are within our modern society. Mm. There is that With our sleep, there isn't an instant fix or there isn't think that the minute we wake up in the morning is when we are setting ourselves up for a good night's sleep. I also think that getting to bed earlier, winding down before we go to bed, you know, diet, all these factors, it's, it's basically about lifestyle. Our lifestyle will dictate our 
deep sleep. Mm. There isn't a quick answer to that, but it is lifestyle changes. They are huge. Changing how we live our lives, I think, basically. So I guess it's things like not taking your mobile to bed with you, be having that downtime before you go to bed, maybe about an hour or so before you go to bed, not looking at any blue lights and things like that. Those are all really important. And that's, you know, our bedtime routine, which is critical to good sleep. But we can't forget the emphasis of what happens during our day. That has a really important impact too. So exercise, diet, all those things that you say that you've just mentioned now, but they have to happen earlier on in the day for us to have a good night's sleep. What is the impact of caffeine on our sleep? We are so frequently being told about caffeine that we almost switch off because but actually it has a really huge impact. We tend to think about caffeine as coffee, but there are so many other foods that contain caffeine. Ice cream, for example, and very often for a nighttime treat, feast, we take from the freezer, we take some ice cream and think, gosh, that's going to help us. That's okay. It's not going to disrupt our sleep. But actually, ice cream contains caffeine. We also need to look at how caffeine um, impacts us as an individual. With some people, we think it doesn't impact our sleep at all but actually there's lots of studies to support that it does impact us and those are you know there was three groups of people where there was a group of people who had coffee at 12 a group who had coffee at six and then a group of people had coffee after their meal and it was so interesting because the people who have coffee after the meal say sleep doesn't uh, caffeine doesn't impact my sleep at all so it's fine but actually when we put these under the microscope and fitted the electrodes on their head, what you actually saw was the lack of deep three sleep. Their quality of sleep was really impacted. So it has a huge impact. The other thing is, there's a very, I can't remember who the experiment was by, there were spiders who were exposed to different uh, stimulants. One was exposed to uh, speed, one to marijuana, one to caffeine, and then one to LSD. After the spider had been exposed to these stimulants, they went off and then they went to spin their web. Which do you think had the greatest impact on the end product by the spiders? Speed, marijuana, and and LSD. And caffeine. Caffeine. I've taken all of those substances, so I can speak (laughs) from a personal point of view. Maybe I shouldn't be admitting that. LSD, more creative. No, caffeine. Caffeine had the most negative impact. The web that they spun was totally unrecognizable in comparison to the other three. So, and then the other thing is, you know, the more caffeine you take throughout the day, we all know about the caffeine crash. And that's because caffeine actually blocks one of the neurotransmitters. Now, that neurotransmitter is called adenosine. Now, when you have your, ca- your coffee, it holds back the adenosine and it holds it back like a dam. Now, at some point, you'll have taken so much caffeine and the adenosine will be so huge in its quantity, it can't hold back anymore. And it, that's where you come crashing down because the adenosine has got to go into your blood system. So that's why it's not healthy to have too much caffeine. You work a lot with children and families. What would you say was the biggest challenge when working with families in relation to the sleep? Gosh, there's many, many challenges. And I think modern day living um, has an enormous impact. 
normal parents, both of them are now in the paid work, so they're not at home. And that in itself brings so many challenges where parents don't have that routine for the children going to bed, they get home late, and then the children go, go to bed later because the parents, as a family unit, they need to see one another. There is lots of studies to show us that if a child, so a 10-month-old child, for example, the later that child goes to bed, if she's having a late bedtime, this 10-month-old, that can, the impact of that can still be seen at the age of four. And that can be seen in their speech and language development and their cognitive function. That's one of the challenges with sleep and families, bedtime routine, and of course the impact of any kind of electronic devices. They have a huge impact. Also, families not having their family around them, so not having that support. There's so many challenges now that this face. Okay, so it actually impairs a child's cognitive development, not having enough sleep. We have quite a similar background. I'm an ex-social worker. I worked in social work for 10 years. You're an ex-nurse, health visitor. And the biggest challenge as a social worker was working with the parents and you're working with the children. So it's kind of getting the parents, you know, all I can think of is maybe the analogy is when I used to work with children that had ADHD, attention deficit disorder, and quite often the parents would just blame it on the child when more often than not it was about educating the parents because it was their, you know, sometimes it was down to lack of parenting and kind of routine. What um, challenges do you face with parents when it comes to working with children in the sleep? I think you hit on something really fundamental here and I'm constantly surprised at families' lack of understanding about the importance of sleep. So I was asked to go and speak at the Kamali Clinic. They were having lots of issues with children presenting with ADHD, hyperactivity, defiant behaviour. One of the child psychologists suggested to get me in because she thought that sleep was such an important component here to all these symptoms that the children were presenting with. Now, I also know that 25% of all children who are um, diagnosed with ADHD, one of the largest components is sleep apnea. When children present with all these symptoms, exactly what you're saying, sleep actually is the fundamental issue and we get that sorted and all these other symptoms begin to disappear. So in terms of, of challenging with the parents, it's about educating a parent on the importance of sleep And one of the things, for example, that I know that a lot of my parents really appreciate knowing is that the growth hormone is almost 70% of the growth hormone is released during the night. So basically, we only grow in the dark. And if we want our children to have optimal brain growth, so not just, you know, physical, but emotional and developmental brain growth through the brain, then they need to be able to sleep for the time that is appropriate for their age. So that's really important, knowing about the growth hormone. Second would be to let them know about the importance of being in bed for a long enough time so that all the other hormones can be regulated. I'll say to a parent that if their children are not sleeping very well, this dysregulates all these really fundamental hormones such as the ghrelin and leptin. So that means a child is, if it's dysregulated, they're much more likely to suffer with obesity because we are growing an adult, we are not growing a child. And so if we're not setting them up right from the beginning, 
then we're not helping our children grow into the best adults they can be. We know that type 2 diabetes is much more prevalent as a result of poor sleep. So it is, education is critical. Wow, I found it totally fascinating that sleep is essentially, I guess if you use the analogy of building a house, and you've got to put the foundation in place before you start to build, then sleep is the foundation. It's our superpower. Mm. Sleep is our super. Sleep is our superpower. And, you know, again, in the world where with children and teenagers and we've got Marvel and we need to recognize that we as individuals, we as human beings, we have this superpower, which is sleep. I know from a personal perspective, I've changed my routine a lot over the years. For many years, I engaged a lot in endurance sport. Ever since I moved to Dubai, my first Friday in Dubai, I was running with the Dubai Creek Striders, which basically meant you would get up at maybe about five o'clock, four thirty. That was my that was my routine because I was always running marathons and then I was doing seventy point threes. Living in the UAE, if you're going to train outside, you have to beat the sunshine, so you have to get up really, really early. And one of the disadvantages of that for me was lack of sleep. Then when I had like hormone tests done for like fertility, like everything was a complete mess. So I made the decision to stop training excessively like that and stop stop interrupting my sleep for exercise. I think it was my acupuncturist that said that don't interrupt your sleep for exercise. And that's when, when I started working from home, that's when I got into the habit of just not setting my alarm on a morning. And I would just wake up when my body wanted to wake up. It normally wakes up about seven and a half, eight hours sleep. This has been a journey of about two years. And I've noticed a lot of changes, physiological that's the yes. right word, in my body since then. In terms of my menstruation cycle seems, seems to be better quality. And and I think a lot of this is, it's not only down to nutrition, but it's down to, to sleep. Pillars. So again, you've just mentioned your three pillars of health, oh, okay. uh, nutrition, exercise, and sleep. Now, it's also very interesting what you said about seven and a half to eight hours. Now, you actually sleep, your quality of sleep would be better at seven and a half rather than eight. Because like I was saying, as human beings, we sleep cycle, and that sleep cycle is approximately 90 minutes. So when you wake after seven and a half hours, then you're not waking up in the middle of a sleep cycle. So that's really, really helpful. It's actually better that you get seven and a half or nine hours. Mm -hmm. So that's important. And then the other thing that you were saying is that... Um, you were waking at five. Now, what we have to be aware of is there's two mechanisms to sleep. And without these, then we don't have good sleep. The first mechanism is our drive to sleep, so our homeostatic pressure. And then the second mechanism, in neither order, is the circadian rhythm. Now, the, the circadian rhythm is so important that a couple of years ago, there were two doctors in the United States, and unfortunately, they beat the doctors from the UK and Oxford and Cambridge to recognize the importance of sleep. So they were awarded the Nobel Prize for Medicine for their work on the circadian rhythm. So that's how important the circadian rhythm is. And for example, when we know about the circadian rhythm, so that's your exposure to light and day, there is every single year 
70 countries, at least 70 countries, participate in this social experiment. And it tells us how fragile the circadian rhythm is. And what do you think that is? This social experiment where 70 to 90 countries are included. Mm. Do you know what it is? It's daylight saving. So when our clock goes forward an hour, mm. and so we lose one hour sleep, the incidence of heart attacks increases by 26%. When the clocks go back, which is soon, the incidence of heart disease reduces by 24%, 21 to 24%. So just by altering our sleep by one hour, we are more or less uh, likely to have a heart attack. Based on those statistics, you wonder why we put the clocks back and forward. It was more back in the day, and even now they are absolutely being challenged. It was thought that if we put the clocks back, it was more likely to save energy. But now with all the studies that are coming forward, that is not going to change. Mm. Um, we don't save on energy particularly. Mm. Um, also, in certain certain countries, then, you know, if if we didn't have the clock change, they'd be in days you know, in that state of night, dark, for a much more extended period. But definitely there is a move now to eliminate the changes in night and day. Wow. So it's quite simple, really. Mm. I mean, you know, a lot of people these days, they want to know how to look younger. They want to know how to live longer. You know, one simple answer is just to get enough sleep. I was watching something yesterday also about Alzheimer's, which I found really interesting. There's been a lot of research undertaken in the States. I think it's Matthew Walker that's been undertaking this research. He's one of them. On how um, lack of sleep can be a contributing factor to getting Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another person that's done quite a lot of research as well is Professor... Russell Foster, he's, he's also extraordinary in terms of his research. So the reason why they are linking Alzheimer's with lack of sleep is because one of the functions that happens when we sleep is it's almost like our brain goes through a washing machine, washing machine cycle. So all the toxins that have been built up from the day, they all these toxins. Mm. Now, if we don't get enough sleep, mm. then the brain doesn't have an opportunity to get rid of all these toxins. As we become more and more sleep-deprived, that sleep deprivation becomes accumulative. Mm. And what that means is that there are certain proteins, and they're called beta-amyloid proteins, and they form like a residue on the front of the brain. The only thing that really gets rid of these um, toxic proteins is sleep. And that's why we say sleep begets sleep. So there's a huge build-up, and this residue is um, built up on the front of the brain. Now... You know, if we look at, it, it's been really fashionable to say sleep doesn't matter. And, and it's almost like a, a badge of honor or a badge of courage to say, I only slept four hours sleep last night. You know, there's certain famous people in history. Margaret Thatcher was a, a very famous one who said, you know, I can survive on sleep and sleep is for wimps um, and four hours. But if we look at this woman who, regardless of what you thought of her politics, and I wouldn't say what I did, but... Look at how she died. She had the most incredible brain. She was one of the first to, you know, attend, I think it was Oxford she was at, and the first woman 
so an amazing brain, but actually she had dementia and awesome. she, she died not knowing any of her family. You know, there's other people throughout history look um, so sleep when it comes to Alzheimer's. So yes, um, absolutely. And, and the evidence that we are collecting is becoming more and more conclusive. Yeah, there's such a resurgence. You said, you said that it's almost like people wear a badge of honor in that, oh, you know, I got up at 5 a.m. And I was one of those people for, for a long time. And I still like to get up early. But if I'm getting up early, I need to be going to bed early as well. So I'm still getting sleep. But I know there's so many people out there, a lot of entrepreneurs, for instance, who kind of get up at the, they're in the 5 a.m. club. They get up at 5 a.m., they work out, and then they start work, and then they're going to bed about 12 o'clock, and they're just not get, getting enough sleep. And the reality is they could probably be so much more productive if they did get sleep but like you say it's not only that it's the long term it's kind of cumulative isn't it it's the long term effects that the lack of sleep is going to have on their mental health yeah i mean in terms of mental health again there is for since the 1800s it was recognized by many psychologists psychiatrists that sleep is such an integral part of mental health, 1800s. And it's only now that we're really beginning to think how strong this correlation is. There were some studies done recently where they were looking at people who were suffering with mental health issues, such as schizophrenia, for example, bipolar. Mm. What the studies were saying was that 80% of the people who had mental health issues had sleep disorders. Uh, Professor, Professor Russell Foster he actually says that he thinks it's even higher than 80%. So there's a huge amount when it comes to mental health and poor sleep. And one of the main reasons about poor health and mental sleep is because when we don't get enough sleep, it triggers the release of the stress hormone. And with that, we then worry, as you say, we are less able to make better decisions, whether it's with our diet which again impacts how we sleep at night. So it's a real knock-on effect and it's a real cascade of poor sleep, poor eating and mental health. So it's huge. I think we're all really honest with ourselves and we look at our lives because it's very easy to fall into bad habits. We all do it. I do it. Um, even though I know what is the best way to to kind of live but it just you know when I do do that I just kind of keep myself in check and I kind of pull the reins back like not sleeping with my phone in my bedroom trying to kind of relax and dim the lights for like an hour before I go to bed one thing that I used to do a lot was just having a 30 minute walk on an evening and I have to say I have got out of the habit of doing that but the benefits to my mental health and to my sleep as a result of that, you know, it's not doing strenuous exercise. It's just going for a 30-minute walk on an evening. That, to me, was was just gold. It was fantastic. I should start doing that again. When you were talking then, it, it's really made me so aware of parasympathetic nervous state and the sympathetic nervous state. Those two have a really important function in terms of our mental health, keeping us safe, not just it's both mental and physical. In the modern day world, and this is where your war comes in, in modern society, we are so much more in that sympathetic state. Now, that sympathetic state really should be a place that we're only in in times of emergency. But because we are 
in this modern world, which is so fast and we don't have time to wind down and we are constantly on this high alert, it's impacting how we sleep and how we process information. So going through your walk, that's really helping you take you out of this sympathetic nervous state, which is your high alert, and putting you back into your parasympathetic nervous state, which is preparing your body for sleep, but also reducing the levels of cortisol and reducing the levels of the stress hormone. So that is, again, one of the culprits of modern day living which is also impacting our sleep. Let's talk about dreaming. This is a subject that, that absolutely fascinates me. My understanding is that dreaming occurs when we're in our deep sleep, which is our REM sleep. Why is it that, I'm just wondering, you know, quite often when you wake up and you think, right, I'm going to remember that dream and you just completely forget it. Why does that happen? Again, it's really interesting. And you were saying that it's when we dream right before we wake up. Actually, we spend something between 21 to 25% of our sleep in REM sleep. That's throughout the night. It's not just at the end of the night. Why do we only remember some of our dreams? Well, they think the reason that we only remember a little bit is because evolutionary dreams don't have any real benefit to our overall day. So we remember things in chronological order. Think about our dreams. It could be that um, we were on a pink cloud and then we were in the sea. So there's no real sense of a dream. Not Most often there's no real sense of a dream. So we think evolution, because it is not benefiting us, that's why we don't remember our dreams. Now there are some dreams that we really do remember. The reason that we remember these dreams is because certain dreams are triggered by our emotional state. So it may be like if we've got a very important meeting or if there was a milestone or like, you know, a first date or something or something that was significant to us, that actually activates a certain part of our brain, which then is stored mm. into our memory. So that's why there is certain of our dreams that we do remember mm. but most of them we don't because it's not relevant really to us plus chronologically mm. it doesn't make sense let's talk about melatonin and sleep they do say that melatonin helps you sleep and i know there's certain aspects of your brain there's a certain time of the day when more, more melatonin is produced i did start taking melatonin once and i stopped taking it because it good. made me feel groggy good good i'm really glad that you stopped taking it now the jury's out on melatonin, and I think the thing to be aware of is melatonin is the sleep hormone, but that in itself confuses us as to its value. Melatonin actually just triggers our sleep-wake state. So if you were going to take melatonin, it's really important that you take it at the right time, and you would take it an hour before bed. The dose is really important. So something between one to three milligrams. Mm -hmm. But for example, I was at a school, um, a secondary school, and a young student of about 15 asked me when she's taking five milligrams of melatonin, and was that okay? Absolutely not. Five milligrams of melatonin is like taking a contraception. The other thing is that it, we know that melatonin can impact our mood. It's a mood disruptor because it can, when not taken correctly, long-term, knock our sleep out. 
The other thing we have to remember is melatonin, when taken orally, is synthetic. And so the brain doesn't recognize melatonin when it's taken orally as effectively. So the liver doesn't metabolize it as efficiently. So what, again, it comes down to lifestyle. We will be much better at helping our sleep when we impact and affect our lifestyle. So it's much, much better with melatonin. Now, they say melatonin isn't addictive, so it's a good thing to take. But, okay, it's not addictive, but it can completely knock your clock out. Biological clock, that master clock in your brain. Have to look at what's going to help. Let's talk about alcohol and, and drugs, like the impact that that can have on our sleep. False understanding, I think, from a lot of people that alcohol helps you sleep, that maybe smoking marijuana helps you sleep, when the reality is that it actually prevents you from going into that deep sleep. So that has an impact on our sleep and our, and our mental health. Absolutely, in terms of you, you just labelled two stimulants, really, and mm. that's what alcohol is a stimulant. Mm -hmm. it also, It's also, I can show you, we can see it's an antidepressant too. These are stimulants, whether it's caffeine, whether it's alcohol, food, all these things impact the quality of our sleep. As you said, it has a sedative effect. It's okay to take one glass of wine, for example, but if you are becoming dependent on that one glass of wine mm. or two to help you sleep, then that's telling you that sleep is an issue. You are using the alcohol to help you sleep and that's where it's not helping because we know that sleep, as you say, impacts the quality of your sleep, fundamentally impacts your level of deep sleep. So your memory restoration and um, cell, repair, cell repair, all those things are impacted by alcohol. So one or two glasses isn't going to harm your sleep unless that you are starting to become dependent on that. And mm. that's when you need to alter your sleep habits. Thank you so much. Can we reverse the sign of age, the signs of aging? Again, this is really interesting. There's been a lot of research when it comes to beauty. We talk about beauty sleep. Mm -hmm. And yes, it can. We know that the better quality sleep you have, mm -hmm. the cell repair, the, um, it is much stronger when you are well rested. So there's a number of studies to show that exposure to sunlight and the body repairs itself much more quickly to skin damage if we are sleep well if we are well well rested so yes and of course with the aging we know that memory restoration cell function regeneration of muscle also is increased and it, the function is so much more efficient when we are better sleep better rested so yes aging can be um, certainly not turned back but it can be improved mm. Okay, that's great. Definitely try and get nine hours of sleep then, sleep on a night. Uh, what do you think about napping? What's your take on that? And just again, a word of caution about nine hours sleep. We need to be aware that if we sleep too much, that's not helpful either. We know that according to the research that having more sleep, we can be prone to like cardiac disease um, and other diseases due to too much sleep so that we've got to be mindful of so when we're looking at napping mm. actually can be much more helpful in terms of keeping the stress levels lower in the brain and improving our quality of nighttime sleep now according to nasa the most efficient time for napping is 26 minutes 
And that is because the body doesn't get into too deep a sleep, and yet there is enough sleep to keep our cortisol levels down. So mm -hmm. napping can be really, really helpful when it comes to our overall sleep. But when we nap is also critical because if we, if we take napping too late in the afternoon, then that's impacting our drive to sleep. So again, you know, we need those two mechanisms for sleep, so our circadian rhythm and our drive to sleep. And if we take a nap too late in the afternoon, then we are not allowing a sufficient drive to help us sleep through the night and have that better sleep quality. So napping is great, 15 to 20 minutes, NASA 26 minutes. Fantastic, thank you. Before we bring this podcast to an end, because we've been chatting for 45 minutes now, is that Anything that you'd like to add? It is such a huge and important mm. topic. Lifestyle, look at lifestyle, and then be mindful that all these sleep averages out there are very relevant, but it's how you are functioning. So, for example, if you wake up tired every morning, you know you're not getting enough sleep. So we all have our own unique sleep requirements, so pay attention to that. You know, there are lots of things. Don't be a slave to sleep, but be aware that it's our behavioral changes which will help us sleep better. Um, things, for example, like set your alarm an hour before bedtime, so then you can remind yourself to wind down. So getting yourself ready for sleep. So come off your sleep devices, um, your temperatures you were saying in your room. So there's a number of things. And don't stress about sleep. Um, because it's so much in the news at the minute and it's such a hot topic that I actually feel that we are creating this, all this stress around sleep and we know that's going to have a negative impact. So try and not be stressed about it and just see how we can improve. What actions can we improve? Mindfulness, breathing exercises, they, these have such a positive impact on our sleep. Mm. What do you think about pods? I love uh, pods. I think they can um, really help us get into that mindfulness, um, especially when it comes to breathing. And But again, really evaluate, did that help me? And if it didn't, try and put a little bit more time into thinking what can help you as opposed to just taking everything that comes in to your inbox. Julie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed talking to you, giving us some fantastic information on the podcast today. I'd also like to thank Rove Hotel in Divine Marina for allowing us to use this amazing venue and thank them for their ever-ending support. Where can people find you? You can find me on www.nurturetosleep.com and my email address is julie at nurturetosleep.com